Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft for this special episode of Fortune and Flora, The Fool and the Rose. I am Margot, and if you're listening to this on Friday, December 30th, the day this drops, then you've just about made it through this closely packed, one part joyful and two parts chaotic holiday season. So I hope you've had a happy Hanukkah, a bright winter solstice, a blessed Yule, a Merry Christmas, and a warm and meaningful Kwanzaa. We're still in Yuletide, which started on December 21st and will run until it ends on January 1st, which is also New Year's Day. We are almost through. (laughs) And with New Year's Eve tomorrow, I'm really looking forward to performing that New Year's Eve spell that I shared on the last episode and ring in the new year with some luck, happiness, and protection for myself, my loved ones, and this new little project here. Uh, remember to please let me know if you decide to perform the spell and any thoughts or comments that you might have on it. I would love to hear from you and you can hear about the spell in episode two, or you can find it on the spells and rituals page at a is And speaking of the new year, new beginnings and fresh starts, I can't think of anyone from the wide world of tarot that represents this energy quite as definitively as the fool. Except perhaps death, but we'll get to her eventually. So as you know, this is the first in in every other episode series called Fortune and Flora, where I will examine the meanings and symbolism of one tarot card and the magic and medicine of one plant, as well as how they relate to each other and how they can be called upon to enhance your practice. And I'm starting with the fool and the rose. So let's dive in. The major arcana is often referred to as the soul's journey. Each card embodies symbolic interpretations or archetypes of the human spirit as it journeys through an evolution from innocence to enlightenment. And that journey begins with the fool. In fact, it is they who will adventure through this journey, leaving the safety and security of home and optimistically heading out into the unknown. Through the fool's experiences of wonder and danger and love and loss and disappointment and knowledge and insight gained through their victories and their failures, we too learn the lessons of the 22 major arcana cards of the tarot. The fool, in and of itself, is both one of those lessons as well as our main character. We are born out of the void, and as such, the fool's card number is zero and he carries with him the innocence of a newborn. In numerology, zero is the only number that represents all potential. It points to infinite possibilities, all or nothing, and ideas without barriers or little boxes to keep them confined to. Zero stands for wholeness, inclusiveness, infinite potential, and all that is or could be. Very much like the fool, and their desire to go out and see where all this untapped potential could possibly lead. They fearlessly leap into the unknown. In the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot, which is the deck that I will be referencing throughout Fortune and Flora, Pamela Coleman-Smith's design of The Fool appears as a young man standing on the edge of a cliff. 
He is dressed in brightly colored and decidedly fancy clothing, which is a major diversion from much earlier decks that depicted the fool as a beggar wearing torn and ragged clothing or a lowly court jester. Both of these very clearly illustrate the feeling of trepidation and anxiety associated with taking risks at that time. But no, the writer Waite Smith version of The Fool transitions this character's journey from a cautionary tale to one that some refer to as divine madness. He does in fact seem led by divine madness as he looks up at the sky or the universe, seemingly without a care in the world. Not even a care for the fact that he seems to be just about to step off the edge of a cliff into the unknown. Even his canine companion seems to be attempting to protect him from his apparent carelessness. But what the loyal dog doesn't seem to understand is that the fool is being led by his complete and total faith that the universe will provide. All he must do is take that first crucial step. He is beyond the point of turning back, propelled forward by his deep desire for experience. His belongings are wrapped in a kerchief and tied to the end of a staff that is slung over his shoulder, which I've always thought was interesting because for all the impulsivity that the fool represents, he still took the time to plan as much as would allow him to pack a few things. So I always like to think of that that foolhardiness and hasty nature of the fool as more of how he is perceived by others than what he's really up to. Even when we put our faith in the universe, do we ever really have absolutely zero plan whatsoever? I don't know. Beyond the fool, we see the blazing sun and usually a few snow-capped mountains. These further signify that his path is very much of of a mystical nature and ultimately leads to esoteric enlightenment. In the hand that is not holding his belongings, usually the hand closest to the viewer or the card reader, there is always a single white rose, or at least almost always. Here, the rose is further evidence of his innocence and his purity but we'll dive deeper into the meaning of the rose shortly. So after we examine the common depiction of the fool card, the meanings and the symbols seem to speak to us on their own. This card represents trust, innocence, an open mind, beginnings, and it is a time for a new adventure. It tells you to have an open mind and try not to make all the decisions about your path. It reminds you to let go of your assumptions of how your new adventure will end up before even embarking. The Fool says, stay open to surprises and most importantly, to unexpected opportunities that may await you. This is how you let your faith in the universe lead you. This is how you leave room for amazing new possibilities. This is the time to act from a place of trust that the universe will provide and keep you safe. And finally, to take that leap of faith into the unknown. Scary, right? I mean, I'd say that for most people, the first big lesson in the major arcana is possibly the scariest one. And the tower is still looming ahead 
So themes of life that can be associated with this energy can be starting new projects or posting for a new job, especially if you're feeling apprehensive about leaving a safe position that you're currently at to chase a dream job. It can have to do with starting college, uh, going on a dream vacation, moving to a new house or to a new city, or even starting a family. Any new beginnings that can be approached with blind faith because not everything in life can be planned, calculated, and outlined. Sometimes we have to take a step into the unknown. So you can see how in life and in our magic, you can rely on the fool to help you shed your need to control and minutely plan and order everything along your path. And instead, walk your path with a deeper sense of wonder and adventure. So I know that I can be a bit of an overplanner, and control freak is not a title that you can throw at me with much effect because I know that shit is true, and most of the time I wear it like a badge of honor. But I can definitely learn to ease up sometimes and leave room for mystery and possibility. And at those times, I will work with the full card when I need that energy of childlike wonder in my life. Now, As with all things, there is a shadow side to the fool because there is a difference between letting your faith guide you and being completely reckless or overly naive. If you read reversals, I actually do not, just a personal preference. Tons of tarot readers either do or do not. So if you do read reversals, then pulling the fool reversed in a reading may indicate that the querent is acting too foolish and should stop and think before acting. They may be taking too many risks, displaying foolish behavior, creating or nurturing an unstable environment for themselves, or acting extremely foolish and childish. To put it simply, the fool is only a fool when the fool is reversed. I like to think of the phrase, everything in moderation. The fool tells us that following our hearts, taking a leap of faith, And seeing where the path leads us is a good thing. But it is possible to have too much of a good thing. We always have to strike a balance, of course. One of my absolute favorite books on tarot is called Pathworking the Tarot, Spiritual Guidance and Practical Advice from The Cards by Lisa Robertson. Through this book, the author provides a way for you to enhance your tarot skills and expand your spirituality by delving deeper into each of the card's stories. For each card in the deck, there is a meaning for the card, and then three exercises to help you deepen your understanding of it. And these exercises are intentional, intuitive, or wandering. I'd like to share the intentional exercise for the fool because I really think it's an excellent one. So here goes. For this exercise, bring to mind the last time you acted in a spontaneous or impulsive way. Relax into the thought and bring the scene to the forefront of your mind. See it as if it were a snapshot in your mind's eye. Taking another nice, deep breath, connect with how you felt in the moment you decided to let your hair down, be a little reckless, and act without thinking. Don't allow your mind to wander into analysis. You are the observer while you are undertaking this pathwork pathwork exercise, and you can do all the examination you want in your journal later. Right now, just focus on how you felt while taking that leap. 
Don't judge the feeling, just let it bubble up to the surface. Take another deep breath, fast forward to the next day, the day after you were spontaneous or impulsive. Do you still feel good about how you acted, or did you wake up with buyer's remorse? Again, do not spend a lot of time analyzing how you felt, just observe. Take another deep breath, then exhale deeply, letting it all go as if you were pushing the air all the way down to and through your feet. Do this one more time to truly disconnect from the energy of the fool and your journey. If you notice that you have a very positive reaction to your walk in the wild with the energy of the fool, amplify it, take note of it, and journal about it. If you notice that you felt regret or shame, just take note of it and write about it after you finish this exercise. Get your journal and start writing about your feelings, keeping the full card with you at all times while you do the journal work. I love that exercise, um, but I know if you're not capable of doing this exercise right now, say if you're driving uh, or just feeling like you don't have the time and energy for it, you can simply focus on the main question that's been presented. In the Wild Wisdom Companion, a journey of the mystical rhythms of the natural world, season by season, by Maya Toll, the same question is posed. The fool is the part of your psyche that cares more about watching the stars than coming in out of the cold. It is the side of you that throws your whole being into play, even if it means scraped knees and turned ankles. When we are young, before our first broken bone or chipped tooth, we romped with abandon and gave our all to every adventure. As life teaches us to be careful and to avoid pain, we become less reckless. As society tells us which behavior is okay, we monitor ourselves more and more, adding a civilized veneer to all we do. But the heart is unruly. When was the last time you let yourself step wholeheartedly into a situation without your head interfering? When was the last time you approached the world around you as if it were truly wondrous? And you can simply sit with that question, mull it over in your mind as an exercise too. I find the easiest way to learn about ourselves is to simply ask questions. Okay, so before we circle back to that rose, let's talk about the fool's correspondences. As usual, I like to take correspondences from Llewellyn's Complete Book of Correspondences by Sandra Kynes, but I myself have, over time, also developed my own set of personal correspondences through UPG, which I always encourage a practitioner to develop. These, however, provide some really great starting off points, these correspondences in the book. And you may find that they're spot on and stick with them. I have done so for many different correspondences. The point is to listen and feel for yourself when you're confident enough to do so. So let's take a look. The correspondences for the fool. The zodiac sign is Aquarius. The planetary influence is Uranus. The element is air. The corresponding rune is Jera. Colors are yellow and blue, both pale. The tree is Aspen. Herbs slash plants are peppermint, ginseng, and the white rose, of course. Crystals and minerals include agate, aventurine, topaz, tourmaline, turquoise. Issues, intentions, powers all include beginnings, cycles, needed discipline, needed guidance, and spirituality. And finally, if your intention is to pull a yes or no card, the fool presents a big, resounding yes. 
Now about that rose that the fool is seen holding in one hand as he teeters dangerously close to the edge of a precipice. (laughs) I have some quotes. Loveliest of lovely things are they on earth that soonest pass away. The rose that lives its little hour is prized beyond the sculpted flower. William Cullen Bryant. It is the time that you have wasted on your rose that makes your rose so important. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, The Little Prince. He that dares not grasp the thorn should never crave the rose. Anne Bronte, The Narrow Way. I could go on forever because roses have been mentioned in poetical works for just about as long as anyone can remember. They grew in the mythical gardens of Semiramis, the queen of Assyria, and King Midas of Phrygia, and appear in the Golstan, or the Flower Garden, a 13th century landmark of Persian literature. Even Greek mythology has attributed the rose with beauty, youth, and love, and that is the story of Chloris, the goddess of flowers. On a walk through the woods one morning, Chloris happened upon a beautiful young nymph who lay dead in her path. Upset by the sight of such a beautiful creature gone too soon, Chloris decides to transform her into a flower whose beauty surpasses that of all other flowers. She then calls on Aphrodite, who bestows some of her power of beauty onto the new bloom, followed by the three graces, who offer up brilliance, joy, and charm. She then implores Zephyrus, her husband, and the embodiment of the west wind to blow away the clouds so that Apollo, the god of the sun, could send his blessings through his rays. Finally, Dionysus, the god of wine and festivity, among other things, gives the flower nectar and fragrance. When this new flower was finished, Chloris and the other gods rejoiced over its unsurpassable charm, beauty, and scent. She crafted a crown of dewdrops and proclaimed this new flower to be the rose and the queen of all flowers. Aphrodite would later go on to present a rose to her son, Eros, the god of love, and he in turn gave a rose to Harpocrates, the god of silence and secrecy, to induce him to keep concealed the weakness of the gods. Thus, The rose became a symbol of love and desire when red, charm and innocence when white, and even silence and secrecy. This is why ancient council chambers were frequently adorned with a rose emblem on the ceiling, indicating that all in attendance were sworn to secrecy, sub rosa, or under the rose. But it's not always sunshine and roses, as the phrase goes. The rose also owes some of its fame, or rather notoriety, to a historic war called, or sometimes referred to as, rather, the War of the Roses. A bloody battle for the throne of England fought between cousins, the royal houses of York, whose emblem was a white rose, and that of Lancaster, whose emblem was the red rose. You know, if you'd like a really highly entertaining way to learn a little bit about that war and the cast of characters involved, I... Highly recommend a historical fiction series by Philippa Gregory. Uh, They are the White Witch, the Red Queen, and the White Princess. So good. (laughs) Just keep in mind that it is a fictionalized account of historical events. Um, It's just so much fun to read. And there's 
also a couple series based on those books on stars. Uh, I think they are the same name, The White Queen and The White Princess. Excellent bonus material. Anyway, The Rose. In the Victorian language of flowers, one could communicate many different intentions based on the color of the rose that was passed along in silence. Indeed, entire conversations could be had simply by the exchange of different blooms and bouquets. But where the singular rose is concerned, the meanings were thus. A white rose could convey innocent love, while a blush pink rose communicated that there was a blossoming romance. And the red rose implied passion. In fact, the deeper the color, the deeper the passion except for the darkest crimson roses, which stood for mourning and grief. Many modern folks know the yellow rose to symbolize friendship and joy, but in the Victorian language, they actually signified jealousy and could even be used to accuse an individual of infidelity. Quite the change. Orange roses would symbolize desire and enthusiasm, while lavender conveyed sentiments of love at first sight. Even the state of the rose or the portion used by it could give meaning to the recipient. Dried white roses meant that death was more desirable than the loss of virtue. Now that's a powerful message. That's pretty badass. And a single rose leaf would signify that the recipient may hope for love. And rosebuds, not yet in bloom, symbolized youthful beauty makes sense. These days, people are much more likely to choose a rose color based on beauty or preference alone, but it is fun to remember those old meanings of the Victorian language of flowers and consider them when assembling a bouquet for a friend or a loved one, or even an enemy. Okay, so moving on to the magical properties and ritual use of roses. The rose still frequently holds authority in all matters of love and romance. Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs attributes the powers of love, psychic powers, healing, love divination, luck, and protection to the rose. Judy Ann Knox, the modern witchcraft guide to magical herbs, assigns romance, love, sexual attraction, and spiritual enlightenment to the flower. And Juliet Diaz's Plant Witchery points to the powers of protection, love, and intuition. So I want to highlight the rose's ability to act as a protector here because I think it sometimes gets overlooked. And understandably, when we think of roses, almost all of us automatically think of love. But what other figures can we think of that act out of love but are also fiercely protective? My mind immediately goes to the images of a mother and a queen. And she is, in fact, the queen of the flowers. Do queens not seek to rule with love while also making it perfectly clear that crossing them would be detrimental? Uh, at least the queen in my mind does, anyway. We must not forget that the rose, for all its beauty and grace, has sharp thorns, and they will draw blood should you approach a rose bush with carelessness. You definitely don't want to engage in tending to roses with the innocent fool's mindset. This will require some careful maneuvering and lots of respect for the queen. 
I find that when most practitioners are working with love or self-love magic, they could do with some protection as well. You want to find true love, of course, but you should want to seek to protect yourself from false suitors along your way. You want to learn to practice more self-love, but self-love also requires a level of assertiveness and strong boundaries around people who would seek to tear you down. The rose offers the exact kind of bold protection that any kind of effective love magic could benefit from. And also, what is more protective than powerful love? Venus. The rose's planetary correspondence is represented by the goddess of love and beauty. But that same goddess played a hand in maybe just as many battles as she did romances. Love is not to be trifled with, and neither is the rose. So when we work with this powerful ally, it's important to listen to her desires as much as our own. She might want to help you find love or friendship, or she might want to help you stand your ground with someone in your life who doesn't seem to want to give you the respect that you deserve. She'll come forward where she's needed. So for the rose's correspondences, there's quite a few. She's a popular gal. All right. So for the zodiac signs, I have Cancer, Libra, Sagittarius, and Taurus. Planetary correspondence, again, is Venus. The day of the week is Friday, and I'm reminded of both the cure and my friend Phoenix, who say, Friday, I'm in love. The element is water, the full moon in June. The chakras are the crown and the heart. Gemstones and minerals include the desert rose. Goddesses are Aphrodite, Demeter, Flora, Freya, Hathor, Hole, Isis, and Venus. Gods are Adonis, Cupid, and Eros. Magical creatures include fairies. And as far as issues, intentions, and powers go, we have affection, attachments, attraction, beginnings, blessings, clairvoyance, compassion, confidence, connections, courage, creativity, dignity, divination, dream work, energy, fertility, fidelity, grace, happiness, harmony, healing, the home, jealousy, messages, omens, patience, peace, problems, protection, psychic ability, release, reversal, sensual, sensuality, sex, sexuality, sleep, sorrow, spirituality, strength, trust, and wisdom. Like I said, she's a popular gal. There's a lot going on here. So there's a lot you can work with, and there's a lot that Rose wants to teach. In Juliet Diaz's Plant Witchery, she offers up a bit of plant wisdom in regards to the rose, and it just felt so perfect that I had to share it here. Plant wisdom. Roses are queens. They are luxurious and sophisticated and hold so many different meanings for so many different cultures. I could write an entire book just on the rose. She teaches us to open her eyes to the beauty of the world, the beauty of all things and all people. Dreams of roses can mean different things depending upon the color of the rose, but generally speaking, she visits to bring you good news. I especially loved the mention of the rose opening our eyes to all the beauty that surrounds us and how it reminded me of the image of the fool again, holding the white rose and looking up at the beautiful afternoon sky rather than where his feet are leading him. We don't need to take a huge scary leap to embody this energy. In fact, 
as the new year fast approaches, we could simply pick up some white roses at the local grocer, place them in a vase at our workspace or our kitchen table, place the full tarot card next to it, and refer to this powerful combination as a reminder to enter into this new year or look at any new projects that we had maybe just started working on with a little more childlike wonder. Let it nurture your faith in the universe and see where this next new adventure takes you. That is all for today. Be well and have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you like what you've been hearing, please drop me a review wherever you listen. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, and the soon-to-come coven shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at a underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash a is for agrimony. Want to contact me? Shoot me an email at reachmargot at a And if you're interested in some exclusive insider bonus content, you will soon be able to join me on Patreon for unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, and much more. More information on that is to come. But for now, be well and have an amazing weekend. And welcome to A is for Agrimony, Coffee Stained Notes of Wit. Oh, one more time. All right, my computer sounds like it's going to take off like a plane, but that's okay. Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, Coffee Stained Notes of Witchcraft. I did it again. Third time's a charm. <clears throat> Hail and welcome to A is for Agrimony, 